Welcome to the Packet Pushers Priority Queue. So you might remember, boy, I'll have to put it in the show notes, but uh, several shows ago, back towards the beginning of 2015, we published a show with Kurt Beckman about open flow and, uh, and table type patterns uh, specifically. And table type patterns are dealing with an issue of negotiating open flow capabilities between a open flow capable device and an open flow controller. And to be honest, without listening to that show, I've lost some of the details of exactly how TTPs work. It was a deep and nerdy and technical show and got in the weeds. And then I went over to Networking Field Day 10 a few weeks back and ran into Rob Sherwood. Rob is uh, one of the guys behind the, the technology at Big Switch Networks. And Rob and I have had an ongoing conversation. He's been on the show before. And uh, table type patterns came up. And uh, as opposed to Kurt's viewpoint, which is very positive on TTPs, Rob has a somewhat negative view on TTPs. So I said, geez, we should record a priority queue and talk about the opposite point of view on table type patterns and uh, and just see why maybe it's not a solution that's going to uh, win uh, in the industry, in the open flow community. With that, I've got uh, Greg Farrow is with me, who's uh, struggling with moving house and being disrupted, aren't you, Greg? Help, help, I'm being disrupted. You know, we always talk about disruption on the internet, you know, like innovation as disruption. I'll tell you what real innovation is. It's getting all of your stuff and putting it in the back of a truck and then piling it on the floor in your new house and going, hey, now put it away. <laughs> that's, that's disruption. I promise you. <laughs> it, 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 and if, if you're like me, is it kind of astonishing how much stuff you've got if you try to take it off of its shelves and out of its cubbies and put it into boxes? Yeah, but then all of a sudden I started putting stuff into cupboards this morning and all of a sudden there was a hole in the middle and I, I was much enheartened. I'm much, I, I'm feeling some motivation creep back in. So perhaps <laughs> I'll, you know, I'll get there in the end, you know, or something, I don't know. <laughs> well, Rob, thank you for joining us. Would you uh, introduce yourself to the Packet Pushers audience? Can I first make a crack about Greg doing a Greenfield deployment of Brownfield stuff? <laughs> <laughs> Knock yeah, yourself exactly. out. <laughs> well, maybe I'll just skip it. <laughs> so, my name's Rob Sherwood. Thanks for having me on again. Uh, my day job is the CTO at Big Switch Networks. Maybe more relevant for this conversation is I've been involved in OpenFlow and SDN since 2008. So, well before SDN was really a thing, I was part of the group back at Stanford working on this. Other relevant thing to this is for, I guess, about 18 months, I was the chair of the ONF's architecture working group. So I'm not just some guy mouthing off about this. this is something I, I, I know, I think, at least a fair bit about. Let's tap into your knowledge right away then. Now, I introduced OpenFlow and table type patterns in this show as negotiating capabilities between an OpenFlow device and an OpenFlow controller. Is that right? Not really? Let's level set on what TTP is all about. Well, let me start actually with what I think is the problem. Uh, okay. and, and TTPs is an attempt at the solution. And so I, I think absolutely it's the trying to solve the right problem. So the problem is, the best analogy I can describe is like a database schema. So OpenFlow is a set of match action tables. And you can think of it like if you see a pattern of a, a packet where the headers are of this form, then perform this action on it. And so that would be one table, one at match action sequence. And in real hardware, you actually need a sequence of these things. So maybe you might want to do a, you know, when the packet first comes in, well, let me decide what VLAN I want to put on it. Let me decide if I want to decap a tunnel. Let me decide if I want to do an L2 action. Let me decide if I want to do an L3 action. Maybe as I egress up the packet, Maybe I want to decide if I want to do a mirroring action because somebody's enabled a span port. Maybe I want to remove a VLAN or swap a VLAN. And all of these things end up being implemented in different tables. And in, in real hardware, it actually it really does map to 
separate discrete actions. And maybe this hardware is backed with TCAM memory, maybe it's backed with SRAM memory, that, that almost doesn't matter. Like the abstraction that OpenFlow has, this match action semantics, how many tables, what you can match on, what things you can do, that is explicitly what TTP is trying to describe because fundamentally, much of the hardware doesn't do this in the same way. That is, there are different tables, there are different matches you can do, different actions you can do in different sequence. And this is really what it means when you have uh, an ASIC, an, an application-specific integrated circuit, is some guy created you know, a set of silicon and he baked it into, literally baked it in, into place so that it has a sequence of match action capabilities. And OpenFlow, by design, does not try to say, you must have this table as table one, and it must have this capabilities, and it must have table two with these capabilities. It, by design, gives you a way to manage and populate those tables, but it doesn't mandate what tables exist. So that, that's the problem. Yeah, if I recall back, the original version of OpenFlow was like an access list. You start at the top and you work to the bottom, and if you have a match, you exit. And then we started to implement tables, and then we started to implement multiple tables. And the idea is, is that you'd have OpenFlow entries in tables, and you'd say, like, this set of OpenFlow, this table of OpenFlow entries defines a thing. Like, pop this to a firewall, this is an MPLS table action, this table does MPLS actions, this table does spanning trees, that sort of thing. Is that right? It's mostly right, and I, I don't want to pick apart the, the nuance of what you said, but some of it's going to become important. So, actually, OpenFlow 1.0, people always describe that as single table. It's true in most implementations, uh, exactly as you said, people looked at all the tables that they're capable of exposing from the hardware and only exposed mm. one table, and it was typically the ACL table, uh, exactly yeah. as you said, because that was... The now, one the re hang on, the reason that we have one table is because that was what was in the silicon, right? That's actually not true. So basically what happened yeah. was there were lots and lots of tables always in the silicon. That was the one that was both easiest to expose and the one that actually least interfered with the rest of the processing. Right. So functionally, it's really easy to virtualize your ACL table, meaning that I'm going to logically chop the ACL table in half, and I'm going to keep half of it for traditional routing. I'll have ACLs in there. I'll have actual ACLs in there. And then I'll expose the other half to an OpenFlow agent, and I'll say, okay, OpenFlow agent, I've got an ACL table of 4,000 entries. I will give you the bottom 2,000 entries, and that way I can be sure that whatever OpenFlow does, it doesn't muck with the standard processing that's going on on this switch. Like I might have OSPF or, or spanning tree or something running in the background, but by chopping out one half of this one table, I can mm. implement this OpenFlow feature, which remember, this is 2008, right? OpenFlow is yeah, this weird, yeah, wacky yeah. thing, in a hybrid mode that doesn't muck with too much of the switch. You know, that implementation decision, which I, I certainly understand, is actually the source of a whole bunch of misconceptions about OpenFlow. It doesn't map well to real hardware. It doesn't scale well. Of course, it do, you know, if you only have half of one of the tables of a large, complex ASIC, yeah, that's mm. not going to scale well. Yeah, because we were retrofitting it onto the silicon at the time. Exactly. So, But that's largely why we only had that limited capability in OpenFlow. And now we're innovating around multiple table. Like table type patterns is an extension of this multi-table concept. Is that correct? Yes. Well, so, I mean, basically you end up with this point where you say, all right, well, I'm a controller. I would like to program these tables. Tell me what's there. And what table type patterns is, so if you think of the, the tables, and then the best analogy that I can come up with is like a database schema. So you know, think of these tables, that they, there's a schema for what, what capabilities they have, what you can match on. What table type patterns is, is here is one schema that the switch supports. 
which is a lot better than nothing, right? If, if you have no information about what the Switch supports, basically your so, controller can sit there and kind of poke at it for a while and wait until yeah. you're not... You so what do you mean by message. schema? What do you mean by schema? So if you think about, so like in a database, you can create a table and, you know, maybe the first entry of that table is a string for a name, the second is like a number for a social security number, and if you try to insert a name into the social security number field, it, you'll get an error. That's what I mean by schema. And right, so okay. it's that same type of thing on the hardware, meaning that maybe in the first column, you can only look up, uh, of the first table, maybe you can only look up VLAN tags. In the second column, maybe you can only push, pop, or swap VLAN tags, because in the first table, that's really what that table is dedicated to do, is to do a bunch of pre-processing on the packet before you get into more complex processing. Yeah, what you're alluding to there is as a packet moves through a switch, the pipeline, you, you do various things to the packet, right? Exactly. At least, it, well, not actually, it, it's a little bit more sophisticated than that, but... That's logically what's going on. Yeah, logically a, pa a packet comes, a frame, sorry, a frame yes. is received by a switch, it's decoded out to get a packet, and then you start performing different operations on the Ethernet and the IP and the TCP headers according to the rules in the switch, right? Exactly. Now, the ability to, in a normal piece of silicon, is you've got literally nanoseconds for these operations to happen. So it's not like a normal computer which can say, oh, you're doing 100 operations, all right. All the other applications can stop while I do those 100 operations and they run slower for until I'm finished doing this type of stuff. In a switch, you have to get it passed through the pipeline in a fixed period of time. Exactly. Uh, and as a result of that, you really don't have, I mean, I guess technically what's called turn completeness, but you know, practically what it means is these are not CPUs. You're not actually dealing with some lower-level assembly instructions. You know, your interface for programming these devices really is a set of registers that looks exactly like tables, meaning that at the lowest level, you're actually pushing things into memory where you know, there, there really is like a, a column one, a column two, a column three type thing. And so the, this open flow match action abstraction actually really does make sense given what the underlying hardware looks like. But then you get to the question of you know, what is the, the schema, if, if you want to think of it in those terms, for this table. Schema for the table. Ethan? I'm assuming, Rob, what you're getting at is that, if I could really generalize it here, some flavors of silicon that are talking open flow have certain capabilities and some does not. And to expose those, you need to uh, have a schema that describes what this silicon is, is capable of doing with this sort of a table. Exactly. Okay. Basically, different switches can implement the same functionality using different tables, using different schemas. So, you know, everybody can do spanning tree, everybody can do VLANs, but the table that does the first VLAN push, like basically the access VLAN rules, is that the first table or is that the second table? Like, those are the things that are not standardized between chips. The schema just describes how you're going to get at these particular functions. Like a database schema describes your rows and columns and tables and how you're going to actually populate data into this thing. Exactly. Okay. Does that make sense? I feel like I got so, Ethan on board, but Greg, are, are, do you understand what we're talking about now? Because I'm going to say the critical thing for why TTPs, in my mind, don't work given this language. I get it, but I'm just trying to expose more about it so that we have a good solid grip. The audience has a good solid grip about where we're going to go next. So the fun thing is most of these chips have some level of programmability, meaning that you can expose a schema, but some of the elements of the schema can actually be changed. So maybe the size of the L2 and the L3 tables, the, action, the back-end memory that backs those tables, is actually a shared resource. 
So maybe you can make the L2 table smaller in favor of making the L3 table bigger or something like that. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, usually there's a memory module, a TCAM in there, and then you have to slice and dice it according to what you want. And then whether that backend memory module is TCAM or SRAM doesn't particularly matter for, for this discussion, but basically across each of the tables, they have all been, you know, most on modern chips, like there's basically lots and lots of knobs to turn. And, you know, there, there's literally thousands of page documents that describe all the possible knobs and what the implications of the knobs are. And if you enable this feature and set one table this way, then it breaks this other table because there's some internal dependency. <laughs> and it's actually really, really complex. Okay. And so what TTPs do, which is useful, is they give you a single schema that this switch supports, or they, they give you a specific schema. And so that says, you know, here is one valid set of knobs. And it's not, if I remember right, the ONF was defining particular schemas that a switch would have to support as opposed to the switch saying, hey, this is what I can do. Is that exactly right? Yeah. And that, that, in my mind, is the fundamental problem. And so think of it as, so in TTPs, the switch says, hello, controller, I support the following set of schemas. Not, here is a language that describes the set of schemas I can support. So rather than a language of all possible schemas, you get a small subset of them. As I remember from talking to Kurt now, um, this is kind of some of this is bubbling back up to the surface. Um, they were going after some pretty straightforward schemas uh, to to describe, you know, an L two schema and an L three schema, and kind of starting with the baseline, and uh, then getting into more exotic ones based on use case. What people came back and said, I need a, a, a TTP that will define this. And Rob, you're saying, no, 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 we shouldn't be defining standard schemas. We should be defining a generic language that can present a schema of whatever sort to the OpenFlow controller so that the maximum capabilities of the chip can be exposed uh, at any given time. So that, in my mind, is the goal. There are a bunch of things that make that difficult, and that's why I'm actually more of a fan of something like P4. Uh, I'm not sure if you or your audience has covered that. I'm happy to, to describe that. We haven't talked about it in detail. I've read a little bit about it, but, uh, but only that it was very early and seemed to have some, some legs, but not, not where it's taking us in a practical sense. So what P4 is, fundamentally, it's trying to solve the same problem. And I'm not convinced it's going to be the solution, but I think it's a, a step forward. Rather than, with TTPs, it's, you know, here's a list of schemas I support. It's actually probably not possible to have the switch generate all possible schemas it can support, because you know, there really are lots and lots of settings. Like mm. that would, A, it's, it's difficult for humans to reason about this, much like most machines. And B, you know, if you got a list of 10,000 schemas as a controller, it would be very hard for you to parse through saying, yes, this is the one that I want. Yeah, I agree with you now, but I also came away from my reading around TTPs, like I was refreshing myself this morning about how TTP work and what they do, as being like, OpenFlow is kind of like an assembler language implementation. This is what goes on inside. But then we don't actually program computers in assembler, we program them in C. And TTPs look like a C, an approximation of a C language for OpenFlow in the switch. So you can start to build up libraries of OpenFlow functions that do uh. So this is a TTP for MPLS. This is a library for spanning tree. This is a library for, and so forth. And so you could say, you know, do this to an MPLS tag, and then it pulls a TTP out of the switch. Is that a, a misunderstanding? Am I getting that so, right? So uh, that that is a hundred percent the goal. I question whether that is possible because you know what's different about libraries is so the inherent cool thing about libraries is they're composable, meaning you know 
if I want to take A to I, you know, the thing that converts an ASCII to, to an integer and drop that into a printf, I can now create, you know, something that not only changes numbers to, to letters or numbers to integers, I can print it out, right? You can compose these things. The problem with TTPs and you know, the, the way that these things are implemented is if you've got a, a chip that supports MPLS and a chip that supports, uh, I don't know, uh, VRFs, then maybe you can compose those two functions or maybe you can't. It depends how they're implemented on the back end. Yes, okay. So what you're saying is the, it's up to the vendors to start participating in this market and saying, in the same way that Intel doesn't just make chips, they actually go out there and make software so their chips get into the market. We're actually expecting Avago and Broadcom to start producing TTPs in cooperation with the industry, except these companies have no way of doing that. Well, just so the, let me finish the P4 thing, but then I'll come back okay, to yeah, that sure. important question. Mm. So P4 looks at this differently, which is I, the controller, will describe kind of like a constraint I want the switch to try to meet. You know, I would yep. like something that looks that, that's capable of matching here. And yes. it turns out that, in my, at least in my mind, that is an easier problem to solve than switch generate all possible things that you can do spit them at me, and I, the controller, will try to figure out the one that I want. So I think it's easier for the controller to say, here's a set of constraints that I have. You know, here's what I'm kind of looking for. Figure out if you can do this. And this actually solves the other problem, which is the other question, which is the chip manufacturers actually don't want to describe all the possible settings of their pipeline because that's actually their intellectual property. And so the really hard thing here is... Hmm. I mean, I can actually tell you all the capabilities of the underlying hardware at a technical level, but I can't for an NDA reasons. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. there, there's mm -hmm. very yep. few people who are NDA, under NDA with enough of these companies to be able to say, you know, this is a way forward that works for everybody because there's kind of these information silos. Yeah. Information wants to be free or something <laughs> like that. No, it wants to be open. It just doesn't want <laughs> Yeah. We need to make money out of it. <laughs> there's a difference, you know. I was looking at a beer bottle the other night that had a lid on it, and I thought, you know, this beer bottle's just like Cisco. It would be open if we could just take the lid off. Then it'd be open. <laughs> <laughs> and then I thought, but only some of the beer could get out because it would be congested around the neck. <laughs> anyway, so, Rob, how, how big of a deal is this if Broadcom is a, a, you know, a really big point of commonality here with a lot of switches? That's actually a great point because so Broadcom has been pretty forward-thinking in terms of this. I think I've mentioned to you guys independently, but uh, at least for your listeners to, to check out, Broadcom has published this thing called the OFDPA. It's their Open Flow Data Path Abstraction, and they've got a TTP for it. But it's basically, here is a pipeline configuration, a schema, like a setting of the knobs that we think works for kind of most people most of the time. And here is a TTP description of it. They don't tell you about what the other capabilities of the chip is or you know, how you might be able to you know, squeeze additional functionality out of it or resize any of the tables or anything like that. But at least you know, what's cool about it is there is a solid description that is not under NDA that anybody can talk about that I can actually point to and explain to you guys, this is actually what a, a switch hardware pipeline kind of looks like. And so Broadcom's been very cool about this, but notably, there's only one TTP available for OFDPA, meaning that you're kind of SOL. If the hardware is capable of doing what you want, but the OFDPA configuration does not, if you're not under NDA with Broadcom and you don't have access to the SDK, you're basically stuck with the one pipeline that they've provided. Yeah. Fortunately, the they've done a good job, and you know it's a generally useful pipeline, mm. but at the same time, 
you know, Big Switch has two commercial products that we're like, okay, could we implement either of these products on this pipeline? And the answer has been no. Mm. Mm. Right. Now, does that mean you're saying because TTP then is hard to get working, it may never actually get anywhere and we should stop putting efforts into it because of it? Or is it because the vendors are dragging their heels? So companies like Broadcom, Cavium, Intel, I mean, there's no, there are more silicon chipsets in the world than just Broadcom. There's you know, dozens of them, Centec, you know, whatever. But Broadcom is by far the dominant player in the market today. Are they interested in doing more with TTP or are they sort of saying this is as far as we're going? Well, I mean, there's kind of two sides to it. One, I think this is just a fundamentally hard problem, right? It's not that anybody is not coming at this with, without, you know, everybody's coming at this with, with the right intentions, which is, you know, Broadcom wants to expose more use cases so they can sell more chips. And I mean, sure, all, all the people who are competing with Broadcom fall into that same category. At the same time, they want to expose use cases in a way that doesn't allow people to reverse engineer what the silicon does, and that's kind of the catch-22. My brain keeps going around in circles on that specific problem, because I completely get it, and at the same time, it is such a stopping point. Arguably, you could say, okay, Cisco makes silicon, and Juniper makes silicon, and you know, Broadcom makes silicon, and, and on and on down the line. But roughly, there is a common set of functions that all of those chip makers do. They all do roughly the same thing for a certain base level set of functions. And then, you know, the, the secret sauce gets into the, the fancy things. How do you do label swaps and NCAP, DCAP, and so on, VXLAN routing, uh, and do it all in, in silicon? That's those things that not everybody needs that uh, become those differentiators. You'd think there would be a, you know, a, I guess a common set of baseline that could we could all just get along, you know. Well, um, and I do think that OFDPA at some level is that. Like, it's actually pretty featureful in terms of the things that you can do with it, right? You can do, you know, standard routing, V4 and V6. You can do MPLS. You can do uh, VXLAN. You can even do VRFs. There's actually quite a bit you can do with it. Mm. But Well, okay. Know. So, I mean, I, I, can, yeah. I can play devil's advocate then and, you know, go back to you know, Kurt's uh, point of view or... or you know, the way he presented TTPs and just say, well, if you define within the ONF a particular schema, uh, if your chipset ex- can comply with that particular schema, then you don't have to worry about, you know, exposing you know, the internals and all of that. You've now got a, a baseline, a specific use case that uh, you know this, this switch can work with. And it's a kind of a way of uh, abstracting away the the grubby details down under the hood, and then it's an issue of just getting all the use cases defined, uh, you know, as opposed to Rob. I think more what you're advocating, you know, the more you know general presentation of a schema, which, as you're describing, is a is a really hard thing to do for all the reasons we've been talking about. You know, maybe the ONF direction currently does make sense. Well, so the the issue that I get hung up with is, you know, all the chips are capable of doing the same rough sets of things. Given the same use case, like say you just wanted to do IPv4 forwarding with some access control list, which is a relatively vanilla use case, the way you actually implement that is actually fairly different across the chips. right? So I'll give you one example that I think I can say without violating NDA. Like Whether the access control list table happens before or after the routing lookup varies by vendor. Mm-hmm. Okay. And basically what that would mean is even if you had complete information about these chips from the controller level, 
the rules that you would populate would be different whether the access control list happens before or after the, the routing lookup. Because why would you do the routing lookup if the access list denies the forwarding, for example? Exactly. Yeah. It's not that you can't meet that use case with either chip. It's just the way that you meet it would be different. And it's not mass. It's, it's still an open flow operation that has to happen to do that programming. There's not some abstraction that's you know, making that operation irrelevant. You, you've got to actually code that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I see where you're coming from. Mm. So, w- w- what's the resolution, Robert? Or, or you know, how how far along are, are TTPs in you know within the ONF? I mean, are we you know are we tilting at windmills here, or is there actually you know a larger discussion that's happening around you know, the future of TTPs? So, P fours is probably going to be a long out solution, and when it does land, it will probably favor hardware that maybe even is more programmable than what we're using today. It's not a great solution for the chips that we use today. I think TTPs are not a great solution for what we use today, but they may be the best thing that we have. So are we talking next generation silicon, you know, coordination between ONF and, and chip makers is going to result in a long-term future that considers open flow as a major consideration and, uh, and being able to do open flow operations as a, you know, as a big deal? The intent of your question, I will say yes to. The, the thing that you said you know, kind of implied that, op- that the, chips, the current chips can't support OpenFlow very well, which, which is something that uh, I, I don't agree with. Well, I so, didn't I mean, mean to imply that. I yeah. would say they, I, I would go with implement OpenFlow inconsistently. Well, and it's almost, I mean, you know, OpenFlow by design is not trying to solve this problem. Right. Like, I, I still remember. You know, when we first had some of the, the OpenFlow 1.1 discussions, when we first started talking about how we were going to do multiple tables, the eventual answer was the only way to do, to do multiple tables is with the OpenFlow spec in one hand and the underlying hardware spec in the other. There was not going to be a, a master OpenFlow schema that was going to work for all hardware because I, I think that I, that is the thing that I think is fundamentally hard to do for, for kind of the reasons we've been talking about. Now, can you build maybe a higher level abstraction on top of OpenFlow to solve that problem? Maybe. Does it make sense to do that, for example, in the controller? I, I think that makes sense. So if you look at, I don't know if you guys have talked with Sorov Das at the, uh, the ONF. He's a colleague of mine, both at Stanford and at Big Switch. He's now working for the ONF. He worked on this Atrium project. So it's all open source. You folks can check it out themselves. But basically what happened was he ran headlong into this problem, which is, he wanted to do basic routing across all the different hardware that he'd get his hands on. And he actually ended up with a demo that was pretty interesting, had six or eight different vendors, uh, all with different hardware. And what happened was he actually built the abstraction that worked for his application in the controller. So that is, he was actually able to build a higher level thing that worked for him on lots of different open flow uh, In the controller, yeah. So what you're controller. saying is it doesn't have to be in the chipset, which is... Ultimately, the dream is you actually always wanted the applications to program OpenFlow, and it's the ultimate abstraction because it's so granular you could do anything you want. But is that viable in the open market? Do we have enough capability and development expertise in the networking to do that in controllers? I mean, yes. It's, I think that's a much easier problem. That, that reduces to what I think of as uh, what I jokingly call the Angry Birds problem. So mm. Angry Birds, the, you know, the, 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 the iPhone app, has been ported to every device known to man. 
right? Like yeah. you're, you're, the 2016 toaster will have a, an LCD with Angry Birds on the side of it, right? And so, <laughs> well, the company's going broke now. People are kind of worn out on that particular topic. But yes, I get the principle. Yeah, um, <laughs> Rovio and, laid off 300 marketing staff a few uh, about three months ago, I'm which begs the question: How many marketing? Sorry, yeah, it's a bad example, but I'm just saying, I find it amusing that a company can lay off 300 marketing staff because the begs the question: How many are left? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Sally. She's yeah. kind of lonely. <laughs> <laughs> but my point is, is that people know how to write portable software and build application-specific abstractions. That's an easy thing to do. It's easy to write code in a way that says, all right, I have to port Angry Birds to these three different iPhones, these four different Android devices, and this litany of other Microsoft stuff. Or, but also, you know, x86 also... You know, whatever other devices, people know how to write abstractions, application-specific abstractions. Yeah. Where you run into problems is when you have to write an abstraction that is agnostic to the application, meaning that it's it's trying to be all things to all people. Yes, yeah, and sometimes you reach too far. You start making too because as you start to do as much as possible, to be as widely used as possible as general purpose, you start losing features. You have to give up certain things because you don't; those things aren't work. It becomes the lowest common denominator. Exactly. And so in my mind, there's almost two separate problems here. One is, how do I describe what the hardware is actually capable of? And the, the other one is, how do I write my application in a way that it can use lots of different hardware? And that mm. first one is a hard problem, but the mm. second one is actually really straightforward, and people have been solving it for the entirety of software. Like, portable software is a, is a known problem. People know how to solve that. Yeah, the hardware problem is complex because making a chip is really, really hard. And because you bet so much money on a chip when you go to make it, they tend to put lots and lots of options in there in case something changes, like the market changes or there's a bug in the design and they've actually got to they have lots of knobs they can switch to change the silicon or to work around flaws in the silicon when it's printed or made or manufactured, right? True? Uh, absolutely. And, and actually it gets worse because much like kind of like an old code base, like basically what happens with an ASIC design is you know when it's brand new, everything works perfectly. But then you get asked next year to add this other feature and next year to add this other feature. And at a gates and logic level, people are trying to wedge more things in and reuse more things. And that's how things get more and more complicated. You know, and all of a sudden, you're using MPLS functionality out of the routing table. And the people who actually have to program that have to squint their eyes and read a lot of documentation how to make that work. <laughs> but <it's laughs> Technical debt at the ASIC level. So that's yes. what that sounds like, yeah. And, and I mean, ultimately, that's the challenge. And, so, and it takes years for change to come to silicon. Like, you know, the, those pipelines are three to five years long and they're, you know, hundreds of millions yeah. of dollars deep. So Greg, I remember talking to Omar at uh, Cisco about this. Omar Sultan, he, he described this as, yeah, you gotta, you got to look ahead with your crystal ball as an ASIC designer, predict what features are going to be in demand in the market in the next three to five years, and then commit your silicon design to, mm. to making that happen. And God help <laughs> you if you screw it up or bet wrong. Yeah, and we've talked to people like Doug Goulet who said, you know, like the Nexus 7000 process kicked off at a business level in sort of like the early 2000s, 2000 three, four, I want to say. And, you know, the actual hardware, the, the, the full-on design didn't start till five, six, and the product didn't come to market until 2009, 10. And it was three years behind schedule at that point. <laughs> yeah. 
So these things are hard. One of the things that I think people are confused about OpenFlow is it's trying to couple these two different problems, which is how do I understand what the hardware is capable of versus let me create an abstraction over the hardware. And by decoupling them, you actually get with a much more viable solution. So let me go back to a question I was asking earlier, Rob, here. I mean, is there a, another direction to go other than the way TTPs have been going so far, which is predefining a schema and then being, you know, your switch is compliant with this predefined schema? I mean, is there actually room in within the LNF to, to grow? I don't know how tied up you are with the the proceedings these days. Uh, I have to admit, I am not f- tracking the day to day proceedings, particularly in the, the forwarding abstractions working group where the TTP is done. At the same time, what I believe will happen at some point is that someone will become uh, a competitor enough to the, the mainstream ASIC makers that they will do what I think of as what Intel did, which is they will actually publish full register guides of here are all the things that my chip is capable of. And once people do that, then we can actually, we don't have to have a TTP, we can have, you know, any crazy grad student, any crazy programmer who wants to can actually just say, all right, I can read the, the manual and understand everything this chip is capable of, and then I can act on that. So, I mean, we don't have TTPs for x86, because you can just download the x86 manual. And this goes back to chip makers being willing to divulge that information because you're saying presently people aren't doing that uh, due to NDAs and it's our secret sauce and so on. And and very viably, and I I don't want people to think that I'm throwing Broadcom onto the bus here, right? I mean, there's a reason why they're the the, the dominant player right now. They they, they have an IP advantage that, that they want to very reasonably protect. But I, I do think that over time... And they you know, made it even better by merging with Avago. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> who manufactures all the chips that Broadcom designed. It'll be interesting to see how this happens. But I, I do think TTPs are a... You know, and for the existing hardware, you know, they might be the current best solution, but I don't think they're a long-term stable solution. Meaning that either hardware will become more programmable, in which case something like P4 becomes more viable, mm. or... It won't be more programmable, but there'll be more competition on the business side, in which case we'll actually get more lower-level information exposed about the chip. Well, Rob, one one practical question here from a you know more of a practitioner standpoint. If I'm say I'm a person who's you know running a data center, I have to buy switches. I'm concerned about OpenFlow. I think that's going to be part of my future. D- does any of this bear on a purchase decision for me? Is there anything I should be looking for in a switch that uh, that that this conversation would have a bearing on? Uh, short story, no. Um, in my mind, um, the the world is roughly divided into people who want to program network hardware and people who want to operate network hardware, and there's actually very little overlap. <laughs> Surprisingly, there's people hmm. who want to drive cars and there's people who want to make cars. What's the deal? Yeah, <laughs> and, and usually the people who build the cars aren't great drivers, and vice versa, right? <laughs> yes, yeah, that's right. Hmm. Yeah. Fair um, enough. Okay, but I, I will say, I mean. You know, for companies like Big Switch, like it, it's actually Broadcom, uh, you know, in companies like Broadcom, like lots of people are willing to let us get under NDA with them and produce high quality software that we can put on almost arbitrary boxes at this point. And if you, what you're looking for as a network operator is like, I don't want vendor lock in, then hardware software disaggregation is, in my mind, a great solution to that. 
But that's basically saying, okay, all of this TTP stuff, all this OpenFlow stuff, that's Rob's problem. That's not my problem. Yeah, Because the, they care about the end result, what they're getting out of it, not the mechanics of how it's getting done. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And I guess the, I guess the other point here is, as as we I've gone through this, is you're not fundamentally saying that TTP is a failure and it's a bad idea and it's awful. The intention behind TTP is is viable. That is to simplify the use of OpenFlow on silicon and to find a way to ease the use the development of SDN controllers and applications. Right. Absolutely. But, but what you're suggesting is that the way that TTPs have been currently planned out or the, the technology that they've currently come up with through the process may ne- not necessarily be the right solution. and Certainly that, long term. Yeah, and P4 or other thing, other movements in the industry may be, uh, are more likely to get up in your, somewhat in your opinion. Exactly. You know, I think of it as, I don't believe that TTPs will be the long term winner. That's not to say that they don't have short term benefits. Yeah, so you'd, ba- you'd sure. bet a box of donuts on something else, not TTP at this time. Depends how stale the donuts would get, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just trying to get the you know, trying to get the magnitude. <laughs> well, Rob, thanks for coming on the Packet Pushers once again. How can people follow you on the internet? I'm available on Twitter at C A P V E G Captain Vegetable for those who uh, are, are curious, and I'm available on uh, LinkedIn and a number of other things. Great, thanks uh, once again for coming on the show. And uh, Mr. Farrow, parting comments. How can folks follow you, etc. Uh, you can find me on etherealmind.com and on the Twitter is at etherealmind. And uh, don't forget the newsletter that we put together on a fortnightly basis called the Human Infrastructure Magazine. Uh, you should sign up because we send out lots of information and uh, I will link to various research papers and white papers as I find them on these types of topics. So if you're interested in tracking what's happening underneath the surface of the ocean, something like what you normally see in the market is things that break the surface. And the, and maybe all you're seeing is the car, you know the contour of the submarine as it breaks surface and underneath there's all this other stuff i try and expose some of that in that magazine so you should sign up to that newsletter it is free sponsored by some of our um, vendor partners but free and i am ethan banks at ec banks on twitter my blog is ethancbanks.com and i have a newsletter the hot aisle if you would like to subscribe to that this has been packet pushers the priority q channel you can find this show and several other shows that we have for free at packetpushers.net follow us on twitter at packet pushers if you have any comments or questions about this show you can email us packetpushers at gmail.com alternatively you can go to packetpushers.net find the show notes for the show leave a comment uh, we'll engage with you there or we'll uh, harass rob and say rob people asked a hard question we don't know can you answer and uh, and maybe you can engage with Rob on packetpushers.net in that way. Last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough. <laughs>